It's just a matter of time before every 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 piece of cutlery and plates or cups in my house yeah. is actually just IKEA plastic. Like it would just it would actually just make my life much much easier. Hang on, is there stuff that isn't? <laughs> <laughs> in the beginning of the history of experimental observation or any other kind of observation on scientific things, it's intuition. It's intuition. Which is really based on just experience with everyday objects that suggest reasonable explanations for things. Welcome to Two Shrinks Pod, episode 23. The first one we're recording for 2018. Woohoo. Woohoo. We've had a rather lengthy summer break. We, some of us. Some of <laughs> us. There's been a few technical glitches. My yeah. iMac has died. Uh, Amy My foot has died. <laughs> Amy is in a boot. Yep. A moon boot? A moon boot, yep. A, a doctor friend of mine told me the correct name of, of said boot. It's a Cam Walker. Cam Walker. And I yeah, no one knows the name Cam Walker apart from people who have had a Cam Walker. Everyone else calls it a moon boot. That's it. Either way, it's torture technically at the moment amy's nickname is hoppy so yeah just you and my father are the only two who are calling me that i like that i like that so welcome to two shrinks pod if you've not listened to this uh podcast before we this is a amy and i are both psychologists and we talk about different psychological topics from just whatever takes our fancy yeah and what we wanted to do for the next couple of episodes is do a series on the personality disorders. So the different types of personality disorders that have been identified and recognized and kind of have a chat about the, their main features, how they present, how they sort of sometimes come up in the culture. And then also try and talk about what treatments there are, if there are any. Personality disorders are very, very interesting and often some of the most interesting things that you come across when you're studying. Yeah, definitely. And I think that most people find them quite interesting. What do you, Mm. what, what, does anything particular appeal to you about it? I think it's something completely intangible that it feels different in the room. Yes. That there's something about the interaction with a client who has these kind of symptoms that's different to working with someone who doesn't have those. And it's sort of a, whether you call it clinical judgment or a, gut feeling but it's something about about that that I find interesting I think it's also interesting because it's they're present across everything every area of of life so whereas someone say with social anxiety will only be anxious in some situations Mm -hmm. someone with a personality disorder will experience aspects of it across the board yeah and something that I always find really really interesting about personality disorder is that when you recognize that it's a personality disorder or they've got traits of a personality disorder and we'll get into discussing mm. what that actually means. The It's suddenly a whole lot of disparate, odd behavior suddenly makes yeah. a lot of sense. It's suddenly like, it's like kind of the only parallel I can think of is like when a, you go to the do- a doctor and the doctor kind of finally gives a diagnosis about, you know, some particular problem that you've got, like yeah. sort of like, you know, some kind of dietary intolerance or yeah. some kind of... Something that's been niggling at you for Something ages. niggling that... Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you're like, ah, oh, right. So, all these things are to do with this thing. Mm. Is it like as a clinician, I think it's really, really fascinating to yeah. kind of go, ah, oh, wow. And then, and then they're just very interesting. I think just as someone, as a student of psychology, and if you're interested in, you know, the human nature. Yeah. I think personality disorders are really, really fascinating kind Absolutely. of to think about. Yeah. So the, the the key thing that you should li- remember when listening to this podcast is that every, um, about the personality disorders mm. is that every person who does reading about personality disorders <laughs> then wonders whether they've got that personality disorder, <laughs> right? Or starts labeling everyone around them. Yeah, no, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Actually, I, I've moved from not thinking about personality disorders as a clinician yeah. to always trying to, like with every client, trying to go through a mental process of does this person have a personality disorder or if I was going to give them a personality disorder, which cluster I would put them into. Interesting. Yeah, as a way of just getting myself to think about it more. Yeah, rather than it being a kind of nothing else 
fits. Hang on, I haven't thought about this. Mm, mm. So, do you want to run through just briefly the different clusters? Yeah. So, there are three different clusters. The one we'll be talking about today is cluster A. And so, that's kind of generally described as sort of odd, eccentric kind of behavior. So, there's um, paranoid, schizotypal, and... Schizoid. Schizoid, yeah. Um, and so, that's kind of one one cluster and the characteristics of it are kind of similar to disorders that are related to sort of psychosis and that sort of thing. There's and some, schizophrenia. And yeah. schizophrenia. There's some sort of eccentric kind of things going on. Then there's cluster B, uh, which includes things like borderline personality disorder, uh, histrionic personality disorder and narcissistic personality and disorder. Antisocial. And antisocial. Yep. yep. And then there's cluster C which includes avoidant and dependent and OCPD. And OCPD. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked about OCPD before, yeah. but I think we'll return to it because Definitely. And, yeah, and if you're interested in OCPD, we did a podcast on it and we can see from the download stats, it's actually the most popular of yeah. all the pods we've done. So Yeah. Um, yeah. So each cluster has a certain flavor to it. Yeah. And they statistically group together. Yeah. Um, and so the cluster A, B, and C, and they're affectionately known in the psychic community as mad, sad, and bad. So, yeah. uh, oh no, mad, bad, and sad, sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm my own punchline. <laughs> so, what we might do is we might just talk, I might start off just talking just generally a little bit about general points about personality disorders. So, yeah. you might not have ever heard that term. So, this, this idea is that it's like an enduring pattern. And pattern, I think, is a really key term mm. of inner experience that deviates markedly from, and, and behavior that deviates markedly from expectations of an individual's culture. And so, it, like, it deviates in terms of cognition, so the way in which they think about themselves, yeah. think about others, think about other events, affectivity, so which is really just their emotions. Mm-hmm. So, their emotion, the types of predominant emotions will yeah. be. Uh, aberrant, yeah. I think would be, or even the pattern or intensity of emotion as well. Yeah, so the pattern, yeah. the pattern will be for that person, that personality mm. type will be very, very predictable. Yeah. So, even if they're an impulsive person, that yeah. impulsivity will be, be predictable, predictable. If that yeah. makes sense. Um, you know, it can be in the intensity, the ability, the appropriateness. Yeah. They, they have dysfunction, like in, in interpersonal functioning, and they have like impulse co- control. So they could be. Too much impulse control or too little. Yeah. If that kind of makes sense. So, this pattern is inflexible and pervasive. And so, just like what you were saying, it's like it's not just in, okay, I'm socially, I'm anxious in this particular group of problems, yeah. circumstances. It's like it's in, it occurs in all aspects of their life. Yeah. So, so in like, for example, you might be like, a, like, think you're really good and really, really arrogant in, at work. Yeah. Right, and people might say that, but you might not be that way at home, mm. right? Or about a whole lot of other stuff, right? But so, and that would be kind of appropriate level of narcissism, yeah, that kind of thing. Wouldn't meet the criteria for a personality disorder. No, no, exactly, yeah. right. So, whereas if you're narcissistic about everything you do, mm. then and you you would be belittling people all the time and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So, and they also kind of start reasonably early, even though they're not diagnosed until can't be diagnosed before the end of adolescence there's kind of there tends to be some sort of patterns of behavior that people see in adolescence or Mm. sort of it it's not something that you would pick up in your 40s or 50s it's something that you could trace back patterns of yeah they've always been behavior the whole way through yeah and that's and that kind of was what's interesting as a clinician is that it's difficult to diagnose Mm, personality disorders and uh, be very wary of any clinician that has told you you have a personality disorder on meeting you for one one mm. one time. Um, I mean, there's some instances where I think you could probably take a stab at it, mm. um, but uh, it's so, quite a complex process. Yeah, yeah. And, and under the pressure of a lot of stress, yeah, your personality functioning can resemble a personality disorder. Yeah. So I mean, dying. Maybe perhaps we should have a discussion at some point on one of the pods about actually how do we diagnose personality disorders yeah. can be quite interesting yeah absolutely so personality disorder has to like lead to distress impairment socially or at work or in other areas of functioning so that is that it, this pattern of functioning is a problem yeah so what's famously recently there was the author i don't remember his name of the narcissistic personality disorder criteria yeah. came out and said that he didn't think that trump had 
Donald yeah. Trump had narcissistic personality disorder because it hasn't impaired his functioning. I would actually disagree with that, mm. like because I, I think it quite clearly impacts his day to day life. Yeah. His actual his professional role. Yeah, like his that. professional role. Like you know, it, it causes him a lot of distress. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's the thing. It, it's sort of it's distress or impairment. So often. For, and we'll get to it when we talk about narcissistic personality disorder and things like that. But the, the person themselves might not find it distressing. So it might be that their environment, their interactions with other people, their relationships, their sort of behaviour at work and things is impaired. Um, and that's enough to meet criteria versus someone who's distressed by what's going on. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so some, some of the personality disorders inherently kind of protect you in a little bubble from feeling distress. Yeah, well, because it's, well, it's essentially, it's egosyntonic, right? Yeah. Like, it, it, this is who the person is. Yes. Yeah. Like, whereas you say, like, if you're depressed or you're anxious, you have moments where you're not that. Mm. And so you, it feels like, even though you can be depressive and an anxious person, yeah. it's still separate. Yeah. And that kind of stuff. And so the, under the old classification system, DSM-4, they had different axes. So axis one were disorders like schizophrenia, depression, anxiety. And then axis two was where all the personality disorders were located. And conceptually, I thought that was a really good thing because you could think about someone having, so like it's sort of separated personality personality out from, you know, potential like conditions, illnesses, however Mm. you want to phrase that, that would come in. I think they got rid of the actual system for insurance reasons, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because basically insurance companies would say, "Well, it's an access to thing, so, so we, we don't we, want to insure, we, we don't want to pay for their treatment." Yeah, yeah, which, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> and also, I mean, the positive of the new system where everything's lumped together is that you can kind of do a little bit more of sort of if someone meets criteria for a couple of personality disorders, you can say that it's both. Yeah. Whereas in the old one, you had to pick. I think there was an emphasis on picking. Emphasis on picking one, like the most predominant one. So, yeah, yeah there's both systems are flawed. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and that gets to the messy nature of people. So, yeah. uh, personality disorders have to be stable, long duration. For example, like antisocial personality disorder has its roots in childhood, and the classic thing is harming mm. animals yeah. as a child, that kind of thing for and enjoyment. Fire setting. Sitting, yes. yeah. And obviously, like, personality stuff's got to not be caused by some other kind of condition. Mm. So, that kind of stuff. So, the one of the things I found said that a big survey in the United States said approximately 15% of American adults would have at least one PD. But that doesn't tell you what percentage of clients in therapy no. would have them. I mean, what are your thoughts on, like, attempting to diagnose or... I think it's... Well, in the past for me, it's been quite a long process yeah it's often like you said of kind of someone presenting with a whole bunch of different different things plus that kind of feeling in the room that then you start exploring what's going on yeah um on a few occasions i've had referrals of people who someone else in their life has said i think this is the issue so like a gp or a social worker or something and then it's been a matter of kind of systematically working through and trying to kind of nut out what's going on. Um, But I think it also varies clinician to clinician how high the threshold is in that kind of distress or impairment thing before they'll say, yes, it's a personality disorder. So a lot of times I've gone with, you have a lot of these traits, but it hasn't quite, for me, it hasn't quite reached that level. Yeah, I think I was taught uh, at Melbourne University was very sort of research uh, and being very cr- critical yeah. of research and reliability and stuff like that. So the, my threshold for PD diagnosis is, has probably been too low, I reckon. Like, yeah. yeah. And that kind of over time, like sort of working with different clinicians and they're kind of much more willing to call it as they see it. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of interesting. And mm-hmm. I think you kind of get like, sometimes you get someone referred and they've got, someone says, oh, this person's got this just diagnosis usually they'll say oh, this person's got bpd borderline personality yeah. and usually i'm much more aware of cluster b symptomology than 
um, some and like cluster A or cluster C. Yeah, I, I sort of don't think about them so much. So it's, it's something with personality disorders is very open to bias. Yeah, definitely. And that's a, that's a very long discussion we could have. And also, it varies a lot who presents for treatment. Yep. So, like, like, you're far more likely to see someone with borderline personality disorder attending, like, at least, you know, once or, you know, a couple of times or whatever, seeking help in multiple different ways. Yeah. Um, whereas someone, say, with antisocial personality disorder isn't likely... To seek out treatment. To seek treatment. It's usually someone else says mm, you court. have to get treatment. Yeah. yeah. So, it kind of... I reckon that's some of the bias as well is that you don't see all of the different personality disorders yeah. as frequently. No, and and like one thing working is interesting working in the hospital system is that everyone gets sick, mm. right? And so you do actually come across um, different... A bit more of a range. A, a bit more of a range. And so, so that's quite interesting. And in my, ex- my clinical experience has been usually people are presenting for assistance, for distress, but then also have this, yeah. you know personality stuff that is, has been recognised or you start to recognise it versus people coming like a, a clinic that's focused on personality disorders yep. treatment. So, and that's, and that's, you know, cause someone with personality disorder can get cancer, for yep, example. Exactly. Like, so it's interesting the setting that you work in, often the key sign I reckon for me is about like particular types of countertransference that you feel as yep. a therapist. That's what you're talking yeah. about. Like the feeling in the room. Yeah. Uh, particular ways, like so borderline personality for me, often triggers like a wanting to save people, mm. like wanting to help people, yeah. like really wanting to protect them, but also other feelings. Mm. Narcissism makes me want to win. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I want to, I want to like outsmart the narcissist. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And like with cluster A personalities, which we can talk about, I often I often feel a bit mad. Mm. Like not like angry, but as in like just confused, confused. and mad. Yeah. Like afterwards. So, and often that's that kind of. So, like, as a clinician, a psychologist, you often have to pay a lot of attention to the way in which you're acting yeah. and that can and feeling. And the thing about that is that even though it sounds kind of murky, is that often that's how people around that person feel at, mm. in the world. And so, it's a bit of an indicator of how other people might be responding and then it kind of give you, gives you clues to ask about relationships and things like that. Mm. Because if you as a sort of trained professional is sitting there feeling frustrated or or like you want to jump in and save them or things like mm, that, mm, then mm. someone who cares about them is probably having that same yeah. kind of reaction. And, and, and yeah, so talking to informants and stuff like that, it's really, really helpful. Mm. So that's kind of a bit of a prelude to uh, what we're talking about. So why not, shall I start off? Did we want to oh, yeah, touch sorry. briefly? Oh, yeah, no, no, so, no, definitely, no, definitely talk about it. So. Just briefly. So we thought it might be useful to distinguish between having a personality trait and having a personality disorder. Do you say tray or trait? I say trait. You say tray. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what they're correct. If, if please, like tweet I, us and let us know at Two Shrinks Pod. I feel like it varies on where you were trained, because. Yeah, everyone I know from sort of like undergrad and honours and things say trait. Mm. But then in my professional life, I've met people who say tray or trait. Mm. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's a mystery. Anyway. anyway. So, one analogy I found when I was trying to kind of tease out the difference between the two was that a trait is like an ingredient and a you know personality pattern or a personality disorder is like the recipe. So... The recipe requires a whole bunch of different ingredients yep. to then for you to be able to make it. Yep. Whereas you may just have a couple of them. Yeah. Yeah. So a trait is also stable. It's something that, so it's things like introversion, extroversion, which we've talked about, like the big five kind of things. Yep. It can be like there's a myriad of different, of different traits. Yeah. You can also have traits that are, common to some of the personality disorders that we'll talk about. So like with the one I'm going to talk about today, you may have a tendency to think that other people have malicious intentions. It doesn't mean that you have paranoid personality disorder if you don't have all of the other ingredients in the recipe to go along with it. Often what you see in, you know, clinical notes and when people are talking and things like that is that someone has borderline traits or they have narcissistic traits or things like that. And that's kind of the the lingo of distinguishing between just elements of versus mm-hmm. 
the entire entire it's, pattern. It's the way we cheat and kind of go. Yeah, not and so go, much. it's a little bit like this, but it's not quite. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but also it gets at the, the dimensionality, yeah. right? So, because the way that personality disorders are written is that it's like you have it or you don't, Yeah. right? And which is just completely not, doesn't match up with experience at all. Yeah, so. exactly. And I sort of, I think as well, often in sort of media and movies and things like that, when things around personality are talked about, often people are referring to traits rather than a disorder and it gets mm. a bit murky. Like saying that someone's narcissistic or hysterical or things mm. like that. Mm. That doesn't necessarily mean... They have a personality disorder. have a personality disorder. disorder. Yeah. So it's this weird thing as a clinician where you have to think on a dimensional framework mm. but then to diagnose if you're going to diagnose the disorder yeah, there's a threshold there's a threshold yeah so i mean it's, it's kind of this weird tension and a lot of i think a lot of you know current thinking in a lot of areas of psychology is moving towards that sort of dimensionality it's the same with now autism being a sort of spectrum rather than before you had a cutoff of Asperger's at one end and yeah. autism at the other, things like that. It's kind of and same with slowly um, being subs- sub- Substance use disorders. Yeah, exactly. It sort of it reflects the because previously it was like dependence or abuse, but yeah. now there's this, like there's a list of criteria, and the more you get, the more severe it is, which yeah. makes a lot of sense. It makes so. far, yeah, it fits far more with what you actually see out in the world and yep. who people are. Yeah. So I thought we'd start off talking about schizoid personality disorder. So. It's interesting reading about schizoid personality disorder because it was a little bit different to what I'd remembered it okay. was. Yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure what I'd, I'd sort of remembered it as being like schizophrenia, with, but really like it's all the negative symptoms mm-hmm. It's versus, say, schizotypal, where I sort of labelled in my head as like all the positive symptoms, yeah. which is not necessarily the most inaccurate way of mm. kind of compartmentalising it. Yeah. But so schizoid personality disorder probably best encapsulated by this quote that I got from this book by Millen, mm-hmm. which is, you can knock, but nobody is home. Hmm. So the main feature of this one is this pervasive pattern of detachment from social relationships. And then the second major feature is that this restricted range of expression of emotions in interpersonal settings. Yeah. So really it's like for someone with schizoid personality disorder or has schizoid traits, like they, relationships hold no reward for them. They aren't, they're not like a painfully shy or avoidant person mm. who desperately desires intimacy, yeah. but fears, shame, and humiliation. Schizoids, like, so I'm just going to use schizoids as a mm. term. I know that that's not probably, but just as for convenience. Um, schizoids just prefer to be alone, right? So they, they're f- free of interpersonal demands. They seem to be. So it's sort of a lack of interest in. Yep. Yeah. And they seem to be incapable, the writing around it sort of says that they seem to be incapable of feeling pleasure at all. And they seem to be detached from the world of others, rarely noticed by others. Noticeably, they don't express emotions much. Flattened expression, monotone speech. So not like an introverted person who hmm. doesn't express much but are actually... You feeling know, a lot. You know, they have a rich inner life. Yeah. They're like an introverted person and they don't express much but they don't have a rich inner life. Yeah. Right. So... so the reading I saw was sort of said that the character in The Remains of the Day, John mm-hmm. Stevens, who was played by uh, Anthony Hopkins, yeah. so good movie, great book. Yeah. He has schizoid traits, mm. which I thought was a really interesting, yeah. interesting thing. He does enjoy some stuff, yeah. but it's very it's like... dulled down. It's, everything's really, really dulled mm. down. So um, I'll run through the criteria. Yeah, I know that. Might, hopefully, that's not too boring. But I'm planning on doing the same. I think it's because it gives a little bit of a feeling of what it's like, but also that people can present in different ways because yep. you don't need all criteria to be to, diagnosed. Well, so there's seven criteria. Yeah, and so you need to have four, mm. right? So if you're Any good, at, mix of if them. you're good at maths, yeah. you can work out that there's a number of combinations yeah. for that, and that's one of the problems with PDs. Yes, yeah. it's difficult. Pick and mix. Yeah, difficult. Yeah, pick and, pick and mix. So number one, appear to lack desire for intimacy. So they seem to be different to opportunities to develop close relationships. Mm-hmm. They don't seem to derive much satisfaction of being part of a family or friendship group. Right? Number two, prefer spending time alone than being with others. So the DSM describes them as being loners, mm. right? That they choose solitary activities that don't include interactions with others. They prefer mechanical or abstract tasks. Yeah. 
like computers or maths games, things like that. So yeah. you can sort of see where this 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 individ- type of individual might gravitate towards. Mm. Has little or any interest in sexual experiences with others, mm-hmm. which, if you think about that from a biological perspective, is is it's interesting. Is, is incredibly unique. Yeah. Right. So one of the major features of humans is we like to have sex. Yeah. Right. A lot of stuff, and that's the evolutionary mm. benefit. So it's kind of that's a really interesting thing. Uh, number four takes pleasure in few, if any, activities. Usually. Reduced experience of pleasure from sensory, bodily, or interpersonal experiences. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they don't enjoy things like walking on the beach or something. They don't enjoy having sex. They don't enjoy doing things that, you know, it's just just dampened down. But it's not that they're unhappy. Mm. Right? It's just that they just don't... Sort of a neutral. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that kind of thing. Unsurprisingly, have no close friends or confidence except possibly a first degree relative. What I thought was interesting, number six, so it was indifferent to the approval or criticism of others. So mm. they just don't seem to be bothered by what others think of them. Yeah. You know, whereas, I, you know, you could imagine like someone with narcissism, they would like say that they're not bothered. But actually it's But actually it's huge. Just like, I'm going to beat you. Yeah. They, <laughs> um, they may seem socially inept or su- superficial, self-absorbed. So there's like oblivious to normal sub- subtleties yeah. of social interaction and act accordingly. Which all of those, you can see how they fit together, you know, that yeah. sort of, if you're not interested in other people, then you're not going to seek out yep. relationships. You're not going to care what other people think because yep. you just... Yeah. And, and and sort of people pick that up mm. and then obviously then they gravitate away from that yep. person, move yep. away from it because the person like is bumbling, but also yep. just... The interaction isn't sort of satisfying or... Yep. That yeah, that kind of stuff. So they show emotional coldness, detachment, flattened activity, uh, affectivity, and sort of just like this bland exterior. No visible emotional reactivity. Rarely reciprocate. Reciprocate. <laughs> there it is again. <laughs> gestures or facial expressions, and sort of just feel like cold and aloof. Mm. I mean, I've I've got no clinical experience with this group. You, I, I have worked with people who have had that diagnosis, but with other things like schizophrenia and things like that so but i've never i don't think i've met anyone yeah which makes it difficult to kind of go that's what that feels like yeah um because i think it's it's quite well i find it quite challenging working with people who don't have much emotional reactivity or show show much because i find that i tend to match it yeah and so we both end up looking quite kind of yeah, that's it. And you do as a therapist, you often match it. And yeah. then therapy with this group is not good. Yeah. Like in terms of like, isn't it? It's not promising. Which is kind of the case for all of the ones we're talking about today. They've got the poorest. Yeah, outcomes. bit of a downer. Yeah. Um, so, just... yeah, like, and really experience strong emotions, as I was saying before, which is why I said in one of the other pods, like, that we talked about how Gollum from Lord of the Rings, yeah. that people were trying to diagnose him <laughs> and they'd suggested schizoid, but he had such a strong emotional reaction to Absolutely. stuff that I was like, oh, that would rule it out. They talk about like, and in, if in unusual circumstances where they do reveal themselves, they may actually acknowledge having painful feelings, particularly related to social interactions. Mm-hmm. They sort of react passively to life. They're directionless. They drift. They don't do well in social settings. So unlikely to have a partner or being a job that requires social interaction and they do talk about sort of under being under stress become psychotic for brief you know minutes to hours periods and that kind of stuff and you you don't desire diagnosis if someone's got schizophrenia you don't diagnose this as well yeah you need to it would need to be pre-existing yeah to diagnose it yeah so so it's sort of it's similar prevalence sort of 3.1 to 4.9 percent so uncommon yeah Slightly more males, seems to be related to schizophrenia genetically. It sounds a little bit like autism, I mm. reckon. You know, there's a, there's that overlap there. Yeah, you can see overlaps with a number of things, which I think will come up over and over again yep. as we talk about personality disorders, which is part of what makes it so hard to diagnose. Yep. Like, you could see someone presenting like that who had depression. Yeah. And then it would just be working backwards and seeing how long it was that they'd had that and whether they actually did have no interest and always had no interest and yeah. all that sort of, yeah. Yeah. What was it, what, what the, this author talked about was, uh, Milan was talking about, was it interesting that it's, it's a, almost a complete list of what's absent in a personality. So it doesn't mm. have its own intrinsic traits, 
you know, it's it's what it lacks. It lacks capacity for emotions. It lacks motivation, sexuality, interpersonal relate, relatedness. It's you're taking away what it means to be human, and mm. that's what you get. Yeah, is this is this PD? It's the personality disorder without a personality, mm. essentially, which I thought was kind of a cute way of describing it. Yeah, and so, but also quite hard one to grapple with, I think. Yeah, because they're so used to kind of linking on to those things that I don't know about you, but imagining having that experience, I would quite I. I'm a bit at a loss at yeah. what, as what that would feel like. Well, that's it. They're talking about therapy not being promising because they, they lack this ability to form close relationship. And so, you know, the, the benefit yeah. of the therapy relationship, which is in pod whatever we talked about, mm. you know, is a key factor. And, and that's just not going to be effective. So not they're not psychologically minded. They're unlikely to respond to insight learning, which is a key feature of CBT. Yeah. Indifferent to the praise of a therapist. So the trap in therapy is to expect too much of this person is only talking about three sort of main goals, like finding something that the patient associates with pleasure mm-hmm. right, and, and like really trying to expand on that, trying yeah. to connect, connect them with the interpersonal world, trying to get them into a job or trying to get them into some kind of education. Mm. So it's really just like, let's get them involved in life. It's yeah. kind of what I think and sort of helping them have insight to their own thoughts and feelings and other than social situations. Mm. That kind of thing, improving rewards of social contact. So yeah, interesting. Very complicated. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, did you want to? Yeah. So, uh, the one I looked into is paranoid personality disorder, which I think probably is paranoia as a paranoia as a concept is I think fairly well understood yeah. just in general society, and that's really the key feature of this personality disorder. So, like you did, I'm going to run through criteria uh so same as yours it's four or more of the list of features but with the the core kind of most prevalent feeling about being sort of suspicious of other people distrustful um thinking that other people are going to be harmful that sort of feeling the first criteria is that they suspect without sufficient basis that others are exploiting harming or deceiving them second one is that they're preoccupied with unjustified doubts about the loyalty or trustworthiness of friends or associates. They might also be reluctant to confide in others because of unwarranted fear that the information will be used maliciously against them. They might read hidden demeaning or threatening meanings into benign remarks or events. Uh, They persistently bear grudges, so unforgiving of insults, injuries or slights. Mm. Um, And really rigidly so. Yeah. And for a really prolonged yep. period of time. Uh, perceives it or reputation that are not apparent to others and mm. is quick to react angrily or to counterattack. And the last one is has recurrent suspicions without justification regarding fidelity of a spouse or sexual partner. Mm. Mm. So, so some of these, so like I was, I was reading those criteria and thinking, and I, I thought, oh, I wonder whether <laughs> my favorite muse of personality pathology is Donald <laughs> Trump, right? Yeah. Um, and I thought some of that sounds like Donald Trump, you know, mm. these kind of attacks, paranoid, yeah. this kind of stuff. But then when you read the clinical literature around it, yeah. it's... The it's, flavor of it's different. Yeah, it's got to be really extreme. Yeah. So the example I read was like that the paranoid personality guy suspects that his partner has had an affair with a friend, hmm. with his friend, because their children that they have together yeah. have the same colour of hair as his friend, but neglecting the fact that it's the same colour of hair of his wife. Yeah. So it's yeah. going to be like really extreme. Really extreme, really intense. Again, that pervasiveness across multiple settings. The interesting thing about this one is that there's been there was a fair bit of lobbying before the DSM-5 came out about removing it. Yep. So it's one that's been in the DSM and in the ICD, which is the European... International Classification of... Disorders, yep. of diseases. D- diseases. Which um, includes both sort of medical conditions as well as psychological. Yep. And it's been in both since both of them started. But there's kind of a, a feeling that it's so rarely seen alone that perhaps it's not a separate disorder. Yeah. So it's reasonably uh, common in clinical populations. So up to a third of clinical patients will meet 
criteria. Yeah, right. Um, in the general public, it's 05 to 2.5% of the community. Yeah, although they would they really be answering? Yeah. yeah. Well, so that's that's the interesting thing about whether people would present for treatment, participate in research, anything like that. So uh, it's the least researched personality disorder. Yeah, right. Out of all of the ones we'll be talking about. Yeah. And they kind of put this down to the fact that they're not likely to engage because they're so suspicious about the motivations of the researchers, yep. of oh, they don't clinicians, of anyone else. They no. They do not want to be in therapy. Absolutely. And also because there's so much overlap with other conditions that it's hard to get a pure sample for research purposes. Yeah. So there's lots of overlap with um, schizophrenia and with any of the sort of disorders that cluster around that, around sort yeah. of delusional disorder yeah, and cause, things. Yeah, because... Paranoia is a key feature of well, a lot of conditions. Yeah, yeah. Like, but so particularly schizophrenia. Yeah, and also even things like narcissism. Yes. In that sort of thinking that other people are attacking yeah. your identity, there's overlap there. Yeah. Social anxiety, assuming that people are being critical of you yep. when perhaps they're not. PTSD as well, of assuming that the world is a dangerous place. The world is a dangerous place if you've been traumatized. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, but also like things like. Drug and alcohol problems, yeah, like, you know, amphetamines, absolutely. Um, like I remember having a discussion. I was on triage, a discussion with a young man who was clearly um, high on ice, yeah. And uh, so amphetamines work on the dopamine system, excite that, yeah. You get symptoms similar to uh, psychosis, yeah. You get amphetamine psychosis. So ice is a, a very pure form of that mm. of, of amphetamine, and yeah. And he was he was like, oh something to do with his girlfriend and his girlfriend's and like his friend. And, you know, it was this most benign kind of coincidence between whatever it was, but absolute paranoia about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, And I think it's kind of teasing apart what could be this disorder versus other things is incredibly difficult because of the overlap. And then even distinguishing something like, you know, the paranoia that you, that you get in schizophrenia or delusional disorder, you've got to, you know, tease apart whether the paranoia is, you know, unrealistic mm. versus in that sort of delusional realm where it's got something weird to it. Like, mm. you know, I think my girlfriend's cheating on me because the number of the bus yeah, yeah. changed from this number to this number. You kind of got to tease it out so specifically yeah. the one of the articles i read that was arguing for the removal of it from the dsm spoke about their own research where they'd looked at patients who weren't admitted but had all been diagnosed and had diagnosed as having a personality disorder uh, and a quarter of the group met criteria for paranoid personality disorder as well as another personality disorder but only one person out of 249 Mm. only met the criteria for paranoid personality disorder and no other dsm diagnosis so it's it's very murky yeah and and also it's kind of interesting because it kind of lets this like researcher counter-transference where it's like well we think there's paranoid people out there but they don't turn up (laughs) exactly (laughs) they must be there somewhere they must be there somewhere (laughs) it's quite interesting did you did you come across any theories around some some theory around what might be going on at all uh in terms of like causal factors or yeah the it's one of the um, personality disorders most strongly associated with childhood abuse. Yeah, right. Um, so particularly things that have involved some kind of sort of physical element, but emotional abuse as well. And so uh, I that was interesting to me because I'd always, I, guess, I don't know where it had come from in my head, I always associated borderline personality disorder most strongly with... Mm. Uh, childhood trauma but this one actually is more so is more so um which in a way makes sense because if you learn as a child that things are unpredictable and dangerous then yeah that could carry through you can certainly see the same way like if you have anxious parents then you sure there's a biological element but if you're around someone's anxious all the time yeah and paranoid all the time then you pick that up absolutely right and so we're primarily social creatures and and that's how we learn we learn from and that's why as a parent it's really important to not react anxiously to your children yeah right and like you know if they fall over turn around yeah so that you don't like go oh my god run over like because then you 
teach them those kinds of things. The, you know, I'll, I'll yeah, my parenting soapbox. <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's interesting, and I think the you know the majority of the research that I found was all arguing for it not to exist. <laughs> yeah, right. And anything else that I found was always with paranoid personality disorder alongside the two that you've looked into for this week. Yeah, right. So treatment when you've got both. Yeah. There were no articles on treatment alone. So I found it really interesting that's this thing that seems to be reasonably common out of the personality disorder in terms of, you know, Mm. something that co-occurs with other things, but it's because it co-occurs so often, it's then dropped out of research and treatment literature. The the, the little bit of reading I did about it sort of, talked about well you know stranger anxiety mm. is a, an adaptive concept yeah you know to be anxious about others has as a large function of that's adaptive absolutely and so you can sort of think about well th- there's that system and that system's gone wrong somehow yeah was, yeah which absolutely. i thought was good and and also like being paranoid can be quite adaptive mm. and so like the one of the little things was talking about j edgar hoover who was the head of the FBI in the United States for, for under 10 different presidents. Yeah. Right. And he was quite paranoid, mm. you know, but he was incredibly successful. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't exclude yeah. that from happening. And it's that, it's that old, you know, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't out to get you. Yeah. There's, you don't, you <laughs> don't have enemies. Yeah. yeah. No, like it's fascinating yeah. to kind of think about. So. It really is. Yeah. So essentially I think, I started with an idea of what it was and I ended up in very murky waters <laughs> with which is nothing th- separate, which is, I mean, the way that clinical work but that, goes. But, that, but that, also, that also speaks to being paranoid. Yeah. Because you start off with like clear assumptions about the way the world works. Yeah. And then it's, and then you're like, is everyone in on this? Yeah. And I think the thing is for, for anyone who's listening to this and going, yeah, sometimes I do think those kind of things is, it, it's again, it's that sort of intensity and that it's multiple facets so it's not just that you're thinking that you need to be careful when you're walking home at night it's that you know you need you're to be thinking ca- that you need to be incredibly careful and not go out at night and then when you get home you have to be concerned about what your partner's doing and then like yeah. and like and changing your wi-fi password all the time and, yeah. and not carrying your phone on you and yeah it's across the board <laughs> like it, it's really really intense perhaps yeah. we should try and give some more examples on the next pod yeah but the so the one you're done uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So the one I was going to talk about was schizotypal personality disorder. So I've had like one experience clinically with this disorder, which is quite interesting. Two main aspects. First, it's social interpersonal problems or deficits, and these are quite marked, right? So discomfort in close relationships and really reduced capacity for relationships, yeah. like really disordered way. And the second part of schizotypal PD is cognitive or perceptual distortions and eccentricities of behavior. Yeah. The quote that we had which was from Millen which is I'm eccentric different strange yeah so this is quite interesting so I'll, I'll kind of go through it so ideas of reference and I'm assuming that this one again it's you know pick and mix yeah an yeah. assortment uh, five of the following nine yeah I think so if you think about that that's quite a lot yeah like four of seven five of nine yeah anyway. so ideas of reference which is Thinking, so often you hear about that as mm. like delusional thinking, but th- this can be thinking that re- reads personal meaning into seemingly trivial remarks ac- of activities or others. Yep. So a common one is like that a uh, billboard is a message specifically for you. Yep. yep. The graffiti yep. on the walls by the train station yep. was written to, as a signal for you. Yeah. And... Well, the news reader is speaking directly to yeah, you. Yeah, or they're wearing a blue tie. Yeah, that so that something. means something. Yeah, yeah. so like... Then they have these like odd beliefs, magical thinking that is inconsistent with culture and influences how they act. And they can be preoccupied with by the paranormal paranormal or have mm-hmm. feel that have special powers to influence events. So believing thinking about their friend taking a dog for a walk caused them to do so. Yeah. Even though they had no contact with it. Yeah. Right? Or and then so this the relate this sort of other related feature which is unusual perceptual experiences including body illusions bodily illusions hearing and sensing people and so this kind of thing of like they can feel like they were present at something that was going on Mm. that they heard about yeah their personality or their body is kind of not just uniquely with them but can they they, sort of malleable and can yeah pick up it's it's really kind of odd and weird Mm. hopefully we're describing that well but Mm. 
they have odd thinking and speech. So like vague, yeah, circumstantial. It can be metaphorical. Mm-hmm. It can be over elaborate. It can be stereotyped. It can be, as clinician, incredibly confusing to follow. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard to figure out what it is that they're trying to say. Yeah, yeah. And and then what's interesting is like, so I worked with an individual, and as part of the training that I was doing, we had to videotape sessions. He agreed to that. Yeah. So videotape the session and then watched it back. It was still just as confusing. Yeah. So yeah, it's not like in the moment you've somehow lost your train of thought or something sort of drifted. It's no, yeah. Like the links, the links that are made. So you might talk about Christmas Mm. and their, their, the link that they made would be about like what color um, reindeer noses are. Yeah. Right? Whereas yeah. I might think about, you know, buying presents and eating for shares yeah. or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, because that's what... That's what you do at As discussed yeah. previously, right? Whereas they would do me like, Christmas, uh, Rudolph the Reindeer. Yeah. Rudolph, uh, Reindeer Noses. Yeah. Right? Colour brown. Yeah. Right? So, this kind of very, very kind of thing. But that link won't be spelt out in conversation. No. So, we'll be talking about Christmas and then... Saying and then the, the fence was really brown, yeah. And so, and but internally, it's kind of that that link has been made. Yeah. But, but then they would, but, they, the but then person. you would ask them why are you talking about yeah. brown, and they wouldn't be able to tell no. you why it was. No. Like so, <laughs> uh, suspiciousness or paranoid ideations yeah. we were just discussing, inappropriate or const- constricted affect. So this can be like not much affect or like kind of like really out there affect. Yeah. Behavior sort of grimaces and yeah and exaggerated. Yeah. Yeah. Behaviour or appearance that is odd, eccentric or peculiar, unkempt, I'm, I'm thinking smells, yeah. <laughs> like clothes that are not washed, odd choice of clothes. So bar- major barriers to having interpersonal relationships. Yeah. And so as a result, lack of close friends or confidence other than first degree relatives, high, high levels of social anxiety. Yeah. So And this tends to be related to this paranoia or suspiciousness of others. Yeah. And not, not so much negative judgments about themselves. Uh, and this anxiety doesn't reduce with familiarity. Yeah. So, like, this idea that, you know, if you get to know somebody who's socially anxious, yeah. after a while they'll sort of open up like a flower and, yeah. uh, and they and you'll you'll get to sort of see the, you know, the, the, the person The real side. thing, yeah. Yep. But if anything, greater, yeah. greater time spent actually increases that anxiety. I feel like this personality disorder out of the, the cluster that we've talked about today is probably the one that is portrayed in media. Yeah. I'm thinking of multiple kind of films and TV shows and stuff like that where there's kind of the eccentric neighbour or there's the, you know, someone who is popping in with unusual kind of ideas or things like that. Yeah. Like it's it's almost used as a caricature in... Yeah, so there's, a, so there's a concept of schizotypy. Yeah. Um, and so getting back to this dimensional idea, though, so, this, so they definitely think that schizophrenia... Yeah. Is at one end of the schizotypy spectrum, yeah, and then there's probably schizotypal PD, and then lower sort of levels of traits, traits yeah. you know, with the the odd thinking about this kind of stuff, yeah. and just because you believe in crystals and yeah. and and all sorts of connections between stuff, doesn't necessarily like yeah. doesn't, doesn't mean you that qualify. You, yeah. There's, there's the, the level of dysfunction yeah. that someone has to have, I think. What what's interesting is it can kind of mimic like autism, mm-hmm. like because yeah. that sort of that social dysfunction kind of yeah. stuff, and then also this idea of like, well, is this schizophrenia or is this not, or is this or is this kind of like drug induced? Yeah, because they might have some substance use going mm-hmm. on and that kind of stuff. So it's that can be a bit different. It's more common when family members have schizophrenia. It really is just a lot like schizophrenia, mm. right? So, and and they can actually except probably without the some of the auditory hallucinations yeah. or the complexity of delusional systems yeah, perhaps but the, or things like that. Yeah, the well-defined rigidity. of mm. I, th- I think the well-defined rigidity of a delusional yeah. system. So it'd be like, well, it's because the aliens who live in the hills yeah. might be a very, very common thing for a schizophrenic person mm. to, to talk about and you would come and see them the next week and they'd continue to talk about yeah. it in the week after and the week after and the week after. Yeah. Schizophrenic PD wouldn't. No. No, no. Like it, it's... It, that that might be one conversation, and yeah. the next time there'd be this other something thing. else. It's a bit odd, and you know, kind of getting them to do, like you know, they may have really really bizarre dreams, mm. and you can get really really caught up in them and those kinds of stuff, and it's, and it's very 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 confusing. Mm. So, so I had a dream last night. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 
So they may they so this group might seek help for anxiety depression and so the one estimate I have was thirty to fifty percent have a, a mood disorder. Yeah. Rates range from point six of a percent to four point six percent in the population. In clinical setting, settings it's said to be uncommon, so like two percent or less of yeah. patients. So so th- theoretically, well, just very, very quickly before we take a break, it was like personality can be likened to an office building. So workers have their own jobs, right? Mm. The building complements their activities. You, as a worker or a visitor, you can find your destination relatively. I know what the yep. toilet is, I know what the photocopier is, blah, blah, blah. And you don't get pushed down the street on the way to doing that. So yep. it's harmonious. Yeah. In other personalities, so the structure is efficient. Yeah. So in other personalities, it is the structure is different and so it prevents things working smoothly. So in a, the paranoid, we were, we were talking about the structure of the building is really, really rigid. Yeah. It's really, really constrictive. Yeah. And you have to conform to these specific rules or you reject it. Yeah. Right? So, but in schizotypal, the overall design possesses an eccentric and indecipherable logic. Yeah. Right? There's no, like it's bizarre is made normal and the normal is made bizarre. Yeah. And so, it's a, considered a structurally defective personality. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, yeah. so the... A hand is made, like your hand is made to grasp or manipulate and the, and the structure is bone, muscle, nerve and tendon, right? But like so, but in this personality, that structure of the, of the hand would yeah. just be all chaotic. Yeah. So from a cognitive perspective, they have a dysfunctional neural network. It's disorganized. Yeah. They have this pattern of free association, distractibility. They're really bad on sustained attention, yeah. which is challenging when you're working with them mm-hmm. in a clinical room they have these beliefs about clairvoyance seeing things remotely seeing things in other dimensions yeah the the thing that i that i thought was interesting is they have these odd beliefs and actions and but these odd beliefs and actions make sense when coupled with their unusual experiences yeah, yeah. and so they were sort of saying well perhaps actually it's not the thinking so much that is that is irrational, but it's like the experiences that they have. Mm, yeah. And then if you can kind of crack that logic a little bit. Yeah. So when I worked therapeutically with this individual, the like using process comments. Yeah. So how would you describe process comments? Like it's kind of commenting on what's going on in the room in the moment. Yeah. So like yeah, like yeah. Right. As Amy, as you said, that I noticed that you looked a bit confused. I was wondering yeah. what was going on there. Yeah. And you would say, oh, well, rather than talking abstractly about what happened on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so using that real life mm. thing, that was that was with that particular person the most Helpful. effective way yeah. of, of kind of getting useful therapeutic material, rather yeah. than kind of like presenting a clinical model about yeah. something. Was just it was just it was just down the rabbit hole. Yeah. So, and different to a paranoid, like so, ideas of reference might be welcomed by a schizotypal. Yeah. Person versus a paranoid would be freaked out about that. Freaked out. So therapy very very quickly difficult to treat, difficult to form a, an alliance. Communications difficult because yeah. of the odd ways of expressing themselves and odd ways of them interpreting what is said. And I think or, it can be quite frustrating for both of you because it's that thing of uh, to the client they're completely clear about what they're communicating and you're not getting it. <laughs> and and I'm being clear about it, but they're not, but they're not getting yeah, it. Yeah, that it's, kind of thing. yeah. They view the therapist as threatening or intrusive, and so they retreat into disorder. Yeah. Right? So this idea of working concretely, you're trying to normalize interpersonal relationships, build social skills, using therapy as a safe space to test reality, mm-hmm. giving up management of the world through magical means. And really, it's like the progress is slow yeah. because of the, the, the distortions that they have and their mm-hmm. attention span. And spending time really sorting relevant and irrelevant information about relationships yeah so testing reality again and again that yeah. Kind of stuff yeah and use of structure you focusing on pleasure and, mo- and, and the motivation that comes from that and trying to balance painful emotions which mm-hmm. is this anxiety that they have yeah and sort of internalizing therapy lines so yeah. it's kind of it's hmm. difficult yes <laughs> it sounds it. <laughs> but but fascinating yeah to do, so. absolutely should we take a break sounds good we will be back and the things we came across yep. after this break. See you soon. Experimental observation or any other kind of observation on scientific things. It's intuition. It's intuition. Which is really based on just experience with everyday objects that suggest reasonable explanations for things. So we're having a break? Yeah. This is part of the show where, what are we doing, Amy? Uh, 
we usually have something to drink. It's daytime at the moment, so there's no cocktails. No. Which is a real shame. No, just a glass of water. Oh, you mean what do we do in terms of like the talking to people in the break? This is where we show we're professional. Oh, right. Yeah, I've never gotten that message. <laughs> 23 <laughs> pods. 23 <laughs> pods. <laughs> this is where I go stupid and Hunter tries to control my brain. <laughs> See, I'm just sort of but, you know, schizotypal, <laughs> PD. It's, it's still just weird. Anyway, we, we say thank you. And we <laughs> thank you for listening. And if you like what you're hearing, then say lovely things about us on public platforms. Ideally, things like Twitter, iTunes. Yeah, that kind of thing. So, skywriting. The thing to the thing to the thing would be really great if people could uh, rate and review the show, yes. but particularly just rating it. Uh, the more people who rate the show, and review the show, more people hear about it, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you can follow us on Twitter mm-hmm. at Two Shrinks Pod. Yeah. You can email us. Yep, you can email us at twoshrinkspod at gmail.com. Yep. We'll go to our website, twoshrinkspod.com. That's it. We sort of, we, we, we kind of locked that down pretty yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we also post links to each of, like, some of the relevant research that we talk about each show. Yeah. And that comes up. Yeah. I'm sure there's something else. I think um, I might tweet out a picture of your broken foot. Sure, if you like. Yeah, let's go crazy. Yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> You are so supportive. Of my foot? Or <laughs> Two shrinks, bud. <laughs>
Have you ever had that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And even just the thing of going zero yeah. is, it's all because the person standing right there, Guilt it's just, and shame. Oh, and particularly it's if you've like, yeah. Yeah. It's just awful. So maybe they should instead just do a little sun or something and we'd all just... Like, we're ridiculous windy, creatures windy. if that's all it takes. Oh, I know. I, I love that we have these grand theories, but really it's like, no, nah, there was really, just a like sun some, There was the a sun on the paper. Someone touched my hand. It's really not that... They've done stuff about smiling as well. Like, it's just ridiculous. I, actually, one of the favourite Mythbusters episode I saw, they, they got... The, the girl Mythbuster, whose name I can't think of at the moment, is mm. terrible. I'm so sorry. They were testing the idea of like whether a girl, a girl waitress with big boobs, yeah. would get more tips. Yeah, right? I assume so. Yeah, so so they did this at this cafe. They did like sort of different days, and yeah. she like they, they gave her bigger boobs or smaller boobs. Yeah. and then they had the guys kind of with this tip jar where they could like divert the money from one one thing to the other. Yeah. From whether it was like a male giving the tip or a female giving a tip, mm-hmm. right? And then they compared it all. Yeah. Well, it was really, really fascinating. So, as you'd expect, males... More. more like females s- less? Females, exactly the same They're pattern. Exactly the same. So, it's like... So it's like Interesting. Yeah, it was really... Like, it was like... It's yeah. like, you kind of... You're thinking, oh, it's going to be like really, really sexist. Yeah. It's like, nope. Nope, it's everyone. It's like ev- ev- everyone Everyone liked the big boobs. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> It's just, yeah, ridiculous. We're just animals, really. Oh, God. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, so, my things we came across. So, uh, I listened to some different podcasts over the the break um, and obviously, like, a bit of a political junkie. Yeah. So, I've been listening to Slow Burn, which is a podcast about Watergate and it's mm-hmm. by Slate. And they, Slate do a couple of different great podcasts. It's presented by Leon Neerfark and, and this is about this, like, the what it was like living through the Watergate mm-hmm. era. With obviously, you know, comparisons to like the shitstorm that's going on overseas in, in America at the moment. So, like, great, like, really, really great, um, really, really well produced kind of stuff. And so, the first one was about Martha Mitchell. So, what I thought, I thought this was really, really interesting. I don't know, have you ever heard of Martha Mitchell? No. no, I'd never heard of it. So, this this ties back into psychology and, and actually links back into what we're talking about today. So yeah. she was a wife of John Mitchell, who was the United States Attorney General under mm-hmm. President Nixon. And he he was heading up the infamous committee to re-elect the president and was involved in the cover-up of the Watergate burglary. Okay. So so this whole episode is about Martha Mitchell. It's the first one. And so she was this like interesting character. She's a known socialite. She's a Republican. She would talk very, very uncensored all this kind of stuff, go on talk shows, ring in, that kind of stuff. Gossip, big gossip. And was proudly so, right? So her husband was worried about her finding out about the burglary. Mm -hmm. And so they, I think they were in California. The the burglary happens, they get caught. He flies back to Washington. He gets an ex-FBI agent to stay with her to prevent her seeing the newspapers, right? She eventually does realizes she knows one of the burglars and like knows him quite well. She starts speaking to reporters, the FBI man, ex-FBI man rips the phone out of the wall and she's like held for several days against her will and including being forcibly sedated by a doctor, like just awful. And this was like right at the start of Watergate. And so, so, and it was like two years from the burglary to when Nixon left office. Okay. So it was that long. Yeah. So really, really long. And so she, they, they were really worried about what she was saying. Mm-hmm. She was like a loose cannon in yeah. terms of stuff. And so she... And presumably more interested in talking about it once they'd done all of that. Yeah. So Yeah, well. exactly yeah. right. So <laughs> they, like the Nixon people, actively tried to discredit her. Mm. And like, and there was a... Um, and so this is really... I won't sort of disclose all the stuff in the, in the pod in, in their episode because it's really good. But they... But really, the point that they talked about was that, like it must have seemed really crazy. He yeah. was this woman saying all this stuff about Nixon, yeah, and people going like, "What?" what like, are you and, talking about? And, like, yeah, well, yeah, and like he won, he won the the, yeah. the election that was held, mm. right? Like after that, what was interesting about they end end and they talked about this is that they said that um, there's a thing in psychology and psychiatry called the Martha Mitchell effect, which is the sometimes improbable. Pa- um, impatient reports that are erroneously assumed to be symptoms of mental illness hmm. and it's referred to the tendency of mental health practitioners not to believe the experience in particular of, of Martha Mitchell yeah because they were she was persistently reporting corruption in Nixon White House it was dismissed hmm. as evidence of delusional thinking until yeah. later proved correct 
described yeah. by the investigation. And so there's this, this thing, I'd never heard of it. So such examples demonstrate like delusional pathology can often lie in the failure or inability to verify whether events have actually taken place, yeah. no matter how improbable they might be. Certainly seen it happen, or but I haven't heard of the, the effect. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so clearly there are instances where people are being pursued by the mafia yeah. or are under surveillance by the police yeah. or rightly suspect that their wife is unfaithful. Although yeah. I think the delusion that you're partner is being unfaithful is called the Othello syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. So, and as we said before, even paranoids have enemies. So, so if I understand, and then so the writing I saw was the understandable and obvious reasons. However, little effort is invested by clinicians into checking the validity of claims of persecution or harassment. Yeah. So, and, and so without that, you mm. can be labeled as delusional. So, have you ever, Interesting. Have, yeah, have you ever come across that like... That happening? Yeah. 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 And I think also of... You know, half of the story being true yep. and half of it being delusional. Yeah. And then either seeing clinicians just go, well, it's all delusional. Yeah. Or seeing people go, hang on a minute, let's actually work our way through this and yeah. see. And oddly enough, often it's been the things that have been the strangest that have been true. Yeah. And then the other stuff that's kind of been as a result of all the anxiety around the weird true things. Yeah. But we, I've definitely had instances like where I was doing training, observational, and they were saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we had this patient on the ward and he kept saying that he was friends with this, you know, celebrity in Melbourne. Hmm. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then the celebrity, like, turned up to take them on a day visit. Yeah. <laughs> like, or, yeah. or, like, another one we had in the hospital where there was a guy who kept saying that, you know, that his wife from overseas is going to come, yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they do a scan. There's some little scan that sort of suggests that maybe that's causing that kind of thinking, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And then, of course, this woman turns up yeah. who they'd, he'd met online. Like, yeah. you know, this kind of, like, it's, yeah, so it's... Yeah. it's yeah, it's There's kind of a, um, it reminds me of that very old kind of early psych research on being sane in insane places yeah. where a bunch of researchers had themselves admitted and then stopped reporting symptoms. All, all, they, all they said was, I, I'm hearing voices hearing. and they got labelled paranoid schizophrenics. Yeah, they were hearing thump and something else. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then they stopped once they were in and anything that they, they just behaved normally and anything that they did was attributed to them yeah. being psychotic. And my favourite part of that was that some of the other patients yeah. on the wards knew that they weren't. Picked, picked that they weren't. <laughs> yeah. That they weren't schizophrenic. Yeah, but the clinicians couldn't. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> well, should we wrap it up? Yep, sounds good. Well, good to be back behind the mics and we tune in next time. We're going to talk about cluster B personalities, sounds which should good. be very, very interesting. Yeah, we'll see you next time. See you, bye. Bye. There's something about that section that every time I get the giggles, I think it's because it's so clearly that we're doing a podcast. Yeah. I just find it amusing. But that's, you could enjoy that, Amy. Yeah, I do. That's why it's amusing. <laughs> I think, no, it's amusing to you because you... I also see your frustration. You see, you see my frustration and you just poke at it. Yep. Because <laughs> I know it's a defined period of time that I'm going to be able to do that before then you need to be sent to and then, and, then it's feeling, oh, and then you're back to like being professional and showing yeah. showing how much smarter you are <laughs> than I am. The In this like really, 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 really gentle way. It's great. It's nice to have a system.